Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast, brought to you by the Evergreen Network. The Media Mavens Podcast is where you'll hear the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And here is your host of the Media Mavens Podcast. She is the original Media Maven, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens Podcast. Super excited to have Alita Braxton with the LA Opera with us today. Hi, Alita. Hello. Hi there. It's so good to have you on the show, and happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> it's a good week. It's a good week for your podcast and because it's your birthday. But I'm so excited to have you on right now this week because, you know, now that summer is ending, we're getting back into hopefully what is a new normal live event, opera season starting, symphony, music. So it's exciting to have you on to talk about this. You have such a tremendous background in music. I wouldn't even know where to start, but some of the things that you have done that everybody should know about Star Wars, Bumblebee, Frozen. There's just, I, I can't even go on. It's the Lego movie. There's so much in here. And that's just the film soundtracks. We haven't started on the opera and the list of amazing stuff on there. But I know you're not the music director. I know I keep thinking you are. You are, and I know you're with the, the music arts crowd. Are you overseeing all the choruses or where is your role in? all of this right now well with la opera and la master crawl i'm one of the choristers i'm one of the what they call preference or for lack of a better term tenured choristers i've been with la opera since the beginning and i'm up to about 100 almost 160 productions and we believe well i am the first woman to get almost 160 productions i was going to say what you're the first the first and only woman who's done this many number of operas product yeah production opera productions yeah. Here in LA, or is it within the industry, like around the just world? In, United just States? in LA, just okay. in Los Angeles. And, but I mean, I've done things other places. I've directed a few operas for a company that's no longer, well, they moved away, but there was Lyric Opera of Los Angeles. So I directed about four, I was stage director for about four of their productions. And, but I teach music. I'm the vocal teacher at the Los Angeles County High School for the Arts, which was voted the number one arts high school in the country. I'm one of many great teachers there. It's really an honor to be part of the faculty there because they're all working professionals. They're not just, you know, coming in out, out of academia. They're also people that can bring their experience to our students. Yeah, so let's talk about, for, I'm, I'm going to kind of backtrack. I don't even know where to start. This is amazing. You've done, I, I know you've done recording. You're a singer, right? Obviously. But let me ask you a question. I, and I need to ask you this question. If you're a soprano or a mezzo-soprano. I'm a mezzo, so I'm kind of in the middle. That's what it means, middle. Okay. What exactly is the difference between both of those? It's a lot of it has to do with quality of voice and maybe the range you're most comfortable to sing in, where they, they call your fach or shelf of uh, vocal, say vocal performance, your comfort level. Sopranos tend to sing super high, and then mezz contraltos or altos are way down here, almost a tenor, and then mezzos are right in the middle. <laughs> Oh my God, I love it. And it's so funny because you always have, you know, you have the orchestra, then you have the singers. And I, I would think, you know, from like a maestro standpoint, it's so stressful, the complicates. You got to get the orchestra on pitch and on the right tone so you guys can hit those notes. So it is kind of like, do you guys just kind of focus on your singing or do you really try to keep a ear out for where the notes are with the orchestra and certain soloists over there? All of the above. It's 
being a performer with an ensemble is being you're basically on a team. Everybody's you know playing together for the common goal of you know scoring a good performance, shall we say? So between orchestra, choristers, soloists, conductors, stage directors, and I, I want to give a shout out to our team at LA Opera all together. We have an amazing wig and makeup department, costume department. They do their research. They treat everybody with respect from the supernumeraries who are opera extras to the leading roles. They are so considerate of us. They make sure our costumes look period and correct. They go along with what the designers want. They make sure we're comfortable in our costumes, even if we're in corsets. <laughs> they make sure we're comfortable that we can actually sing as well. As, oh, what's that about? So yeah, it's a, I call it a well-oiled machine. So between, like I said, Singers, orchestra, soloists, soloist singers, wig and makeup, costumers, dressers. I feel I'm very lucky with LA Opera. In fact, I've heard from uh, some of the soloists I have met who visit from other parts of the country or even around the world. They love coming to LA to work with LA Opera. And you've done stuff with Walt Disney and with Sony Records. I know, <laughs> look at your list, you know, you have Disney's 12 Days of Christmas, Barbara Streisand's Christmas. These were their record labels. You were singing as backup or as part of the choruses in some of this? It was a chorus. I contracted some singers for the movie Mean Girls and a TV show called Lincoln Heights. But again, I, this is such a vast community of singers in Los Angeles. There's like a thousand plus or 2,000 really, you know, really good talented singers so even though my list looks big yeah. that doesn't mean i've sung on every movie that's been out there because you know we hope hopefully the contractors or those with the contract spread the work around because there are so many talented people in this in this city so so from singing yeah, to <laughs> directing so your film tr soundtrack and i'm going to go through here a little bit and pick some out here this is so incredibly <laughs> impressive alita I love this. Yeah, the Legos. Yeah, Bumblebee. Two of my favorites. Love Transformers. Some of the Star Wars, which is incredible. Ghostbusters, Frozen, which everybody loves. The Lorax, Wolverine. You have Polar Express, Superman. Scooby do a lot of great stuff, which is Disney. Oh, you have Men in Black. I love the Men in Black ones. Galaxy <laughs> Quest, Inspector Gadget. Let's see Home Alone, Devil's Star Trek, Generations. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Wasn't that on the circuit at the opera or at the theater? Bram Stoker's Dracula. Wasn't that? That's the one with uh, Gary Oldman, Keanu Reeves, Winona Ryder. So I've seen, a, I mean, I've seen a lot of these. Waterworld, Armageddon. I mean, this is an X-Men. This is an amazing, like, this is an amazing King Kong and his one Dalmatians. <laughs> this is an actually impressive, very impressive list of film soundtracks and you've been involved in all of this well like i said there's there's so many movies and there's so many good singers and there's you might ask another singer and their resume is going to look like mine because fortunately like i said the work gets spread around so as much as i've done i'm not on everything it's nice if i could be but there's a <laughs> but that's it's a good list it's a good list yeah it is yeah. impressive okay let's move to opera because I, I i love i'm obsessed with the whole opera thing you are the only woman who's done the most operas here in LA, over a hundred productions. That is outstanding. Which one of these, which one was your favorite? Well, like, which is my favorite child? I, <laughs> I do have some I'm very fond of. I do like doing Carmen. Carmen's fun. There's a lot of singing for the chorus and we get to be different characters. We have a fight scene with the sopranos and altos, which is, <laughs> we get to have a little cat fight on stage. And we're all friends, but it's kind of fun to, yeah. Well, if you have Macbeth, you have the fine Dutchman, Norma, 
Don Giovanni, Romeo Juliet, Alice in Wonderland. I love it. Madam. Well, also we got to do uh, Candide a few years ago. That was with Kelsey Grammer and Christine Ebersole. It was, that's one of my favorites. I, one of my big loves is actually musical theater. Nice. So we've done Oklahoma with LA Opera. I said Candide, some operettas like Orpheus in the Underworld. Those are fun. Yeah. Or Orpheus or Mac, Macbeth, the Magic Flute. So, okay. My favorite, so like my favorite, my all time favorite, I don't know why, but I haven't seen a lot of operas. I need to see more. Well, I'm, obsessed with Phantom of the Opera. I think it's the music. Like I love, it's just, it's such a classical opera. Like I've seen that. I've seen Jacob and the Multicolored Dreamcoats. Joseph and the Amazing Technicolored Dreamcoats. I've saw that, which was great. Cats I've seen. I don't think this is a musical. Theater wise, I did love Oz though. The one down at Pantages and everything. You know, it's interesting. People do like Phantom of the Opera and shows like that and Les Mis. I would almost consider operettas because the definition of opera operettas where almost all the lines are sung. Yeah. And to do those shows, you have to be, you have to have some good, I'd say good, strong classical chops. In fact, my high school a few years back did band with the opera. And my son was the band. But, it, and those kids work their tuchuses off and our, and the whole student orchestra who are just amazing symphony quality orchestra. So while uh, people may turn their noses up and say, oh, Phantom of the Opera is really a musical. I would, Alita, my opinion, it's closer to operetta because you do have to, it's sung through. Les Mis, the same thing. So yeah, the opera where it's all music, where operetta is like some of the Les Mis, Phantom of the Opera, where it is part verbiage, part music, but most of it is musical, but you do have a few areas cut in between that where they're actually speaking. Okay. Which makes sense. Okay, let's chat about Madame and the Butterfly. That's such a classic. Oh, you have Le Boheme here. You have so many. Okay, let's talk Madame and the Butterfly. Madame, Madame Butterfly. That is a beautiful opera. Yes. And you you were in that one. Oh, there is Madame Butterfly. Sorry, I said Madame and the Butterfly. Oh, with Madame Butterfly. I was being snotty. <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about Madame Butterfly. It's such a classical love story. Tell me how that one was discussed. How was that? Oh, well... This is where the entire company, literally, for lack of a better term, changes ethnicity because it takes place in Japan. So we all have to be Japanese in some shape or form. And the characters are relatives or fellow geishas of Chocho-san, Madame Butterfly. And the Puccini score is just gloriously lush and beautiful. So that's... <laughs> and actually, I think I've seen Madame Butterfly. I think I have seen it ages ago. Here in LA, uh, beautiful with the geishas and all the costumes and everything. Can you sing a part of it or can you hit a note or two that you did for that? Well, not really, because I was just in the chorus, but we Which one, which ones have you actually Quando Cielo Quanto Mar? Quando Cielo Quanto Mar. When that's what we sing, as we're saying how beautiful the sea, and then we talk about how beautiful the flowers are, because she's about to marry Pinkerton. Oh my God, this is so funny. So like, how do they choose? Like, like, do they choose? Like, do you guys, I mean, like you said, there's a lot of people out there. You've done the most stuff in the LA opera. Do they really pair you based on your voice and your skill and your notes and anything? Or is it really just like anything else? I mean, you have the costumes, you have, you have just so much that goes into it. It's a team effort. I get that. But do they really, is it like acting where you've got, I mean, if you can't hit that note, I mean, you just, you just, those high notes are incredible. And I feel like you're like, oh, I can't sing. Like for like five minutes without breathing. It's crazy. Is is that how they really place people solely on their voice and the notes they hit? 
Yep. That's a butterfly, a, a woman who plays the role of butterfly really has to have some tremendously strong chops, soprano chops. It's, there's certain skill levels, obviously, with different roles. And Puccini is, is uh, known for, well, how do I put this? I would not be butterfly because it's more, it really is high. And, and you've got to sustain a lot of stuff to, to do that role. And the casting people are different than who casting me for the chorus. But even then, it's all about what skill levels you bring as an ensemble singer, as well as a good singer, good musician. I think I've proven myself to be that because I've been with the company for a while. And depending on who the chorus master is, right now our chorus master is a gentleman named Grant Gershon, who's also our director for the LA Master Chorale. So Grant knows us and... He does listen to all of us on a regular basis. Those of us that are, say, tenured or preference choristers, we have to audition every other year. Somebody new has to audition every year. Preference choristers, someone who's done at least 16 productions. I've done more than that. So if you've done 16, so that, that puts you in the preference category. You're n- nobody's guaranteed work. For example, if you're with the New York Met, you're part of the, if you're a regular chorister with the New York Met, you're pretty much guaranteed work. I think. Uh, there are few companies are guaranteed work. Most of us are contract to contract or season to season, shall we say, depending on how many operas there are, depending on how many choristers are needed, depending on the type of voices that are needed. And that's where Rand has his work cut out for him because he's got to take into consideration, you know, what is required of those, those shows. So the musical theater, which is the productions under the LA opera, Corgi and Best is well known, the ghost of Versailles, what is that one? I haven't heard of that one. And it's a that, winner. That one was, that's kind of a course. It's, it's, how do I describe Ghost of Versailles? Well, it's kind of a follow-up to Marriage Figaro. <laughs> we follow the characters a little farther. And we bring in the character of Marie Antoinette. It's a lot of stuff. <laughs> the one we just did, Patty Lapone was in that with us. I got to be a Turkish man. <laughs> So it, can you hit that baritone, that level with some of these females? Can you, you have a, a vast range of like, what's the highest and lowest range that they really want people to stay in? I wouldn't say there's a set range, but let's just say you're a contralto, really low alto. You'd be down here almost in the tenor range and you could go up here as a mezzo and then higher, you're a soprano. I have a little allergy attack going, but (laughs) (laughs) your course master, whoever he or she would be, whatever company you're at, would be looking for how they also think you're going to fit in with the, if you're singing in the ensemble, because you also have to have a good blending quality. Like I said, it's basically a team. You don't want to totally stick out with a big (laughs) sound. You want to stick with a little more, (laughs) which is what you'll get on soundtrack sessions as well. A lot of that is a skill of blending. What if somebody in the orchestra misses a note, like on solos and stuff? What if somebody skips a beat or they misses it? Is it kind of like in fashion runways? It doesn't matter if you trip or fall or heel snaps. You just keep trekking down the runway. I mean, because we've done some fashion events where we've had heel snaps and they kind of wobble, but you just got to keep carrying on with the show. Do you guys just kind of figure out from the orchestra that person We'll figure it out and catch up in another note or two and you keep going or does it really throw everybody off? Our orchestra is pretty damn good. And I have never heard it happen. If it does, we don't know because they probably kept going. But if you want to talk about falling, I have fallen (laughs) downstage front and center two opening nights of shows. (laughs) Yeah, my my mom thought I was doing a stunt on purpose. (laughs) 
You just get back up and blend in like that. Why you were singing? Yeah, there was, uh, I think it was Elixir of Love. And in one of the previous scenes, there was a, a scene where the actor you know, poured some wine out and it was, it hadn't been cleaned up all the way. So when we came on and it was another kind of a girl, another fight scene, I slipped and literally fell punk on my bottom side, like boom. And we made it look like it was the real. It's like when the girl did a fake push, she's like, ah, and I went, oh. And then we did one of our productions, Carmen, another chorus. We went running down to find the policeman. You know, what's it called? What's it called? You know, you know, monsieur, monsieur. We're trying to get the policeman to get our attention because there's a fight back in the factory. One of our choristers who really is not quite that good on stage. <laughs> tripped and grabbed me to catch herself. <laughs> it's like, I felt like I was being tackled. <laughs> but you kept on singing though. You kept on singing, right? But you, you, you just kept, you we just kept on singing. And the guy playing the policeman just was like, or the character Zuniga, the captain of the guard. He just kind of looked and helped me up. Like, wow, that's part of the scene. Oh my God. They must be really excited for this fight. So yeah. it's plus anything with theater. And it's all, you know, it's all live. It's all organic. Every now and then things are going to be, you know, slightly different. You just, that's part of being a good teammate too. It's like playing a, a sport. Sometimes, you know, athletes might fall or yeah. trip. You just get back up and keep playing. I, it's, it's, it's such a grind because you're constantly having to play and practice and keep going just to make sure when it's ready to go. And I know that because my mother plays the oboe. Ooh. So she's music and yeah, in Arizona and Phoenix and she's been, at a few of these orchestras or concerts and stuff. And she's had some solo stuff. But when I go home, like it does echo, she's constantly like playing and practicing and stuff. And I think it'd be so hard because everybody's been down for what, God, almost a year and a half now with COVID. So now that everything's supposedly opening, opening back up, we're keeping our fingers crossed. I would think it'd be, I mean, hopefully everybody kept practicing throughout COVID, but I'm hoping that, you know, you guys now, you got to get back out there. And if you, nobody's been on stage or been playing publicly for a year and a half. Well, we've had to develop new skill levels or uh, new skills, which is good old Zoom and virtual recordings. LA Opera has done a few, LA Master Crowd, where we've had to record ourselves on our part. And then, you know, the technicians you know, put all the pieces together. But LA, the first one I did for LA Master Crowd was, in fact, I still think it's up on our site. Hark, I hear the harps eternal. So that's, if anyone wants to look at that, that's probably one of the first ones we've done. And that was a virtual that the LA Opera did during lockdown, right? LA Opera did. We did a little, we did Anvil Chorus and the Bridal, Anvil Chorus from Il Probatory, which plug, plug, that's what we just started rehearsing this week. And we also did the Bridal Chorus from Pagliacci. So that was interesting. We had to record ourselves, which is fun because we all, you know, then you can make a mistake. You can, oh, we're to make a mistake. So we have our own blueprint. Rewind, start over. Yeah. yeah. So that was it. So, but again, that's another skill that you have to work on. But yeah. So yes, so speaking of getting back to work, we started with Il Trovatore with LA Opera and we're all in mass. When does opera season start again? At least here in LA. End of September. Middle of September. Yeah. Il, Tro- Il Trovatore, and then we also start Tannhäuser rehearsals, and they I should have brought it with me, it's in my bag we have the singer's masks, have you ever seen those, they, they literally oh. they look like a duck <laughs> oh the pointy ones, because you got to be able to breathe and have the Not filters, there. because singing you need so much air and expand your lungs and out, you can't do that in a little mask, well it comes out like- about four inches here, and it just sits on the nose, actually a very stiff metal thing, so it stays in place, it comes out about that far 
And so there's a little more breathing room. I, that, I mean, I personally have, you know, preferred that to the, you know, the medical mass or anything else, but everybody's got their own comfort level. How hard is it to really hit those notes and sing? Cause that's all how much air you're bringing in and out of your lungs with these masks on. Well, for me, this provides a little more air and breathing space. I'm able to support a little bit better and take bigger breaths with that and feel comfortable, you know, breathing out and say, but the, again, yeah. I'm giving my comfort level for that. Some people also prefer it. Other yeah. people at rehearsals have just worn the other masks. That's their comfort level for singing. And also, like you said earlier, hopefully we've kept up some of our singing chops and that I also have my church choir and we don't really have choir. It's just a few of us singing with a microphone. We did pre-records. Now we're in person, but still socially distanced. So instead of choir, there's just three to five singers standing apart with a microphone, a body mic. And I know you've done the virtuals, but I mean, and I'm looking at the, you know, besides Trevatore and Tannhauser, which is coming up, you have Cinderella and St. Matthew's Passion, Aida's Oh in Spring. Oh, you guys doing a version of Get Out from the movie. Interesting. We're not in it, but see, some of those don't, don't include the chorus. Yeah. And La Cenerentola, Cinderella is only men in the chorus, so none of us girls what? get to do that. <laughs> oh, that's rude. No, I'm kidding. That's heinous. Yeah, horrible. <laughs> but you have Trevatore and Ten Hours, you're going to be in a chorus. You've known for a while you were going to, guys are going to be on stage. Everybody's got to be ready and really get into this. The orchestra, they're, everybody's spaced apart. I mean, I know we still have to deal with COVID. Yeah. So I assume you have, is it less people or are they just making the footprints bigger so they can put more, the same amount of people when that six foot difference? Yes. We don't know because, okay. well, they, they set up the seats in rehearsal about six feet apart. How we're going to be on stage, not sure. We have our first staging rehearsal tomorrow and that'll give us an idea of what, how they're going to proceed. And we'll probably be in mass for that, of course. Like I said, we don't know. It's all, and, yeah. and you know, it changes daily. Protocols change daily, mass on, mass off. Everybody has to be vaccinated though. And they're giving us they're giving us regular tests. Okay, so you're gonna get tested and you're being vaccinated, which makes sense. Yeah, me and Moderna had a moment this year. <laughs> oh I so at least better safe than sorry. And where are some of the venues you've played? I know there's Dorothy Challenge Pavilion, the Disney musical. Are you everywhere based on where they are, or is there one set venue that you're at all the time? Those are our bases. Is the base for LA Opera is the Dorothy Chandler. The base for LA Master Crowl was the Dorothy Chandler with the LA Phil. When Disney Hall went up and the LA Phil, their home base became Disney Hall, that became the Master Crowl home. However, we've done what they call off-brand. We're on Grand Avenue, off-brand. Off there was gosh, I think four, four years ago, a chorus of opera, people did it. They did a concert at the Ford Theater, which was great. It gave more people some work because a lot of us were already, we couldn't do it because we had we were already in an opera. So they brought in some other choristers who weren't in that particular opera to do the concert at the Ford. We also did an opera called Dulce Rosa at the Broad in Santa Monica. So every now and then, I think sometimes there's outreach that has happened at the Red Cat at Disney Hall. And we do offer outreach in the LA Opera Education Division. So it's so beautiful at the Disney Opera Hall. It's such a beautiful building. So it's going to be interesting to see how they're going to do this then, because if you have so many people, there's only so much room on stage, but you've got to be distant. I mean, even the orchestra, I mean, there's so many people shoving the orchestra pit. They're so close together. And 
the wind instruments cannot be in mass. Obviously, they can't be in mass. That's be funny for me to tell my mom. But mom, where's your mask? You know, she plays the oboe. I get that string, like, the you know, the string and the everything. Most of opera and a lot of the wind instruments, they can't be in masks. So then they've got to give them even more space out there. So, and I can't speak to every, you know, city and state. I just know what's going on in LA, but I think we're in the same boat as everybody else. How do you keep that distance and still have everybody there in sync with each other? And half of the orchestra can't wear masks. Well, here's what I... I know some people are trying to come up with, and the, well, there is one. There is a mask for musicians or instrumentalists that play the wind instruments. I have not, I, I have seen one where it covers the nose, it covers the mouth, but there's a slit in the middle. So you can put your oboe or clarinet, probably your flute and whatever. But I've, I'm thinking they might be ordering those kind of masks. So as long as the nose and mouth are mostly covered and it's just letting that air out for the instrument, I don't know. I, I cannot speak for the orchestra. That would be tough. You know how they have those little plastic clear partitions at like the grocery stores and salons and stuff? I would think every wind instrument has their own little cubby with the little plastic things. I think that'd be less intrusive and easier for them. That's a good idea. You'll see. Well, have you seen the schools? My, well, you know, at my school, or in fact, not schools, they have those plexiglass looks like the science fair project, you know, thing where it opens yeah. up. So they're made of plexiglass. And I actually just did a session a couple of weeks ago last week, which they actually had each of us singers in our own kind of surrounded by a little bit of plexiglass uh, to the sides of us and in front. And we all had an individual microphone instead of the one big mic for all of us to sing towards. I yeah. think I saw online a production at, I believe the Berkshire theater back East of a production of Godspell. And the performers were all in a, well, they were, they were uh, divided, or shall we say, yeah, divided by a plexiglass. So they could still look at each other and have some interaction. They just couldn't actually touch. But, and the audience had to. Yeah, I, I, I like it because the restaurants have that. I had a, like, I was up on, at a lunch meeting on Sunset and everybody has the tables and the plastic plexiglass. Yep. So it's clear so you could see, but it's your own little space. And it's not just about not having masks, I would think, because so many people at these venues, you have your own peace of mind of safety because you know you have plexiglass around you because when people blow and talk, they do kind of spit droplets, the whole thing about it. So I would think that that'd be a tremendous safety program. I think they're going to do the plexiglass in my opinion. I'd rather see that. I think if I was a musician, I'd rather be in a plexiglass in between than just have this weird little mask on, you know? We shall see. We sh I mean, the orchestra, in fact, I'm going to see one of my orchestra members uh, today. She's a good friend of mine. I've been giving her son voice lessons, so I'm going to see them later. And we'll see what the orchestra is planning to do. It's, like I said, things change daily. Think about it. Yeah. And one thing I tell people, don't panic. Don't panic. If you catch COVID or you test, or say if you test positive COVID, don't panic. Get treatment right away. Get tested. Get treated. Take care of yourselves. Do your best to stay healthy. I did. I lost my godmother to COVID. Both of her twin daughters had it, and they recovered, but my godmother did not. And they said it was not pleasant. They said it was the worst thing they've ever had. So please, be, I tell people, please be careful. Please be careful, but don't panic. I think panicking makes it worse. Yeah, I think, I mean, a lot of people also want to get back and. Are you excited 
to get back into the opera, like physically get back out there on stage? Oh yeah, we were almost crying because it's also that human interaction. Because not only are we teammates, we're friends, we're family. And when you can't be with those people that you have that wonderful regular interaction, it's emotionally draining. Do you walk around the house singing all the time? Do you find yourself just walking around the house? Just Yes. Tunes while you're cooking or doing laundry. Yes, and since I live alone, I don't disturb anybody. <laughs> Even so, but they always have this saying that I've always remembered. And when the first time that I went to the opera, it was, and I forgot who told me this. It was here in LA like ten years ago, uh, down at Disney. There's only two types of people in the world when it comes to opera: those who were born and always loved opera, than those who just learn to appreciate it. They may not be opera lovers, but they just have to learn to appreciate it. You either love it or you appreciate it. It's kind of like yogurt. It's an acquired taste for some people. <laughs> yogurt. You're you're literally sitting here and say we're comparing opera to yogurt. Well and, and well a little bit about you know growing up here in Los Angeles and maybe other parts of the country. I grew up in LA Unified School District and where we had music. And it didn't matter whether you were in the inner city or in Beverly Hills. We had music programs, regular music teachers. We had orchestra. We had choir. And we had field trips to see the opera. So the first opera I saw when I was about eight or nine was The Magic Flute. And since being a little girl, you like fairy tales. And that one was kind of a fairy tale opera with pretty Mozart singing. And so I, I took piano lessons as a kid. And we had I took up cello. <laughs> and then I switched to viola. Everybody loves the viola. <laughs> so I switched to that. And for fun, I took up flute because I wanted to be in marching band. And this makes me sad when you know people cut programs and think, well, they've got to have more math. They've got to have more science. They got... And it's not that those aren't important, but kids go to school because they know they're going to also have that outlet of music or art or dance. I have friends who said they would have dropped out of school if it wasn't for drama class. In fact, a friend of mine who's very not a celebrity, but a very successful actor, when he became a really good actor, and he said theater saved him in school. And you'll ask most people, the arts totally enhance their experience. I encourage any administrators and school districts and supervisors, please remember the importance of the arts. And if you statistics across the board, a hundred percent have noticed when the arts went out of the schools, grade levels went down dropout rates went up we also lost languages why are languages important well first of all it helps you develop some new skills it also helps you develop appreciation of other people's culture you're not just learning how to say buenos dias or guten morgen you're learning about the country what the people are about so more people are traveling and more cultural so it's hard when you're traveling other countries and you have no idea you know the the language if you're in another country you need to at least have some basic of appreciation of their language and communication yeah. but i mean music is so yeah. important so i do get that i did the flute when i was little it didn't last long it was silver shiny i was like blowing into it. i'm like yeah forget this i took violin for a little bit because you know my, i think my mom still has i think one of my grandmother's violins is super old like beautiful violin couldn't get the violin thing going so then i took piano i mean i literally went through piano, ballet, every single thing. They were very short-lived, but at least I did it. But the one thing I do regret is not sticking to piano. Oh my gosh, that is exactly why I tell people to give their kids music lessons. You just hit it on the head. You will never hear an adult say, I'm so glad I didn't take music lessons. 
you, I'll bet you dimes and donuts, you will never hear an adult you wish to step a piano. I mean, not that everybody's going to stick with that instrument or any instrument. No, it's not stick with it. It's like, because I have some friends and they have these gorgeous baby grands in the living room. They're shiny and they could just, growing up, I was like, yeah, no, no, sports, go have fun, be chatty, social, don't stick to it. But the piano is the one thing I always wish I had a baby grand in my living room and was able to play the piano. Again, you will never hear an adult say, I'm glad I gave up the piano. You always yeah. say, oh, I wish I'd stuck with it. Yeah. Or I'm so glad I never took violin lessons. You say, Okay, I tried it, but she'll never say, I'm glad I didn't do it. Yeah. You'll say, okay, and you say, I tried it, I gave it a shot. And that's, I have a lot of friends that I grew up with that did one instrument for a year, maybe. But they say, yeah, you know, that was kind of fun. And they, it's, it's like I said, it just, it taps in another part of your brain and your psyche and your emotions. Even if you just do it for you. Well, everybody has a creative side to them and a point to where you've just got to try as a creative outlet. Some are really exceptional when it comes yeah. to art, some can't, some dabble in it. But I think everybody's at one point has got to go through that. And I know it's hard because I know the school systems do cut the arts first for budgets. It's sad. Yeah, I don't think they real. it's everybody's all about you know, writing the checks instead of realizing the, the importance that the arts also stimulate that scientific brain. They stimulate that math brain. Again, even if a kid just does an instrument for a year, that'll tap into something there. But again, I'm not writing the checks. <laughs> yeah, no, no, they're all about math and science. Which when I was in college, I, 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 they're very important. I did combine two of the most important things, just want you to know. I combined my science and my art, and I took glass blowing. Which was a science in college. I'm going to admit at, at U of A for a year or two, and I went there. It counted as upper division science, and I made the best little perfect little round piggies and elephants and a little menagerie of animals. It was science and art combined together. So I was very proud of that. Yes, and I tell people try something you've never tried before. I started at LA City College before I transferred to Cal State Fullerton, and at LA City College, I took up folk dancing, international folk dancing, and fencing, and archery, and tennis, things I hadn't done before. I mean, I'm, I'm kind of a volleyball nerd, but I, I said, try something you've never tried before. My late dad, I might have mentioned in a previous conversation with you, my late dad was the first black animator in Hollywood. So he was very, very, very pro-education, very pro-trying new things, and he was an amazing artist. He died way too young. He was only 40. He directed George of the Jungle. Yeah, every single song. He was the lead animator for the first two years. I think the only animator, the lead animator on uh, Captain Crunch commercials. Yeah. So anyway, that's just a few things. But because of that, his, his thirst for knowledge, his encouragement for trying new things, that's what I think that rubbed off on us. It's amazing. I mean, it, the creative talents, they do run in the families. I just think with music, it's different because a lot of people love to sing but they can't sing. The, the ones that built it out in their car or in the showers. And I think it's great that if, you know, you love singing, you're good at it, you could hit those notes, you pursue it, you don't give up on it. It's just hard. I think when people love to sing, but they're never <laughs> good enough to quite, you know, go to that next level. I mean, did you as a child take a lot of music lessons or were you just gifted with a great voice? Oh, I was gifted with, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad sang with us. And even my mom who was told at one time she was tone deaf. My mother is not tone deaf. She actually has a very good pitch, not the greatest voice, but she could sing nice little melodies and, and harmony even. She picked up on harmonies. But my parents sang to us. My dad played guitar and sang. 
And my actual first solo was in Jester Harrison's Amen at my church. And I was only six. You see the baby wrapped in a manger on Christmas morning. Have you been singing since you were six years old? Before. Yep, in my nursery school. We had music. My dad did music for us at our nursery school, too. Oh, my God. That is so cute. I'm so glad I had you come back on. It's always so good to talk to you. So we're so excited. We have to look forward to Alita, the first two opening operas this season, you're going to be there in person singing. I think I need to come to the opera more. I need to come to the ones where you're going to be singing. I have to like make sure that I follow you. <laughs> my, my little glass. Well, well, here's another bonus. I think you people who still don't want to come or are vaccinated. There are a couple of performances that will be live stream, and you have to pay for the ticket to get the link. Yeah, but there will be some live streaming. Again, that's the new world we're in, live streaming. <laughs> so I think I put yeah. the website up for you, laopera.org. I believe LAMC for LA Master Crown. And there's all kinds of interesting things on both those websites. And one question I was asked, I think Michelle asked this, and Michelle Koshman asked me one time, what else can parents do? What do you recommend? Well, I recommend when you can, take your kids to see live performances, even if it's live streaming, but live. Go to your local high school. For college, the tickets are cheaper and you get some pretty good performances and it exposes you. I mean, that's another thing I'm very fortunate. I went to see productions when I was a kid. Go to your local, even middle school, Millican Middle School. I think Walter Reed, other middle schools. Or go support those schools as well. Your local college, your local high school. See if they've got anything on their schedule that you can take your you little kids and go see those. That gets you started in being a good audience member. <laughs> And it helps support the people that are on stage and encourage them. I'm so excited. So laopera.org is, as I get your notes, is the best place. Do you, Alita, do, where can people find you? And like, you, you know, do you have recordings and are you archived anywhere where they could go find anything you've been into? Just basically on Facebook. I have some IMDb stuff. I'm actually redoing uh, websites and LinkedIn. So that's not. A- okay. But so for now, laopera.org, opera season is coming up. It was so good having you on. You know, and our bios are listed too on both of those, laopera.org and LAMC. You can go to the company Perfect. and look up orchestra members as well as artists. So I guess the best way to end our podcast is again, happy birthday and break a leg <laughs> this fall with your first two operas coming out and we keep us posted okay. of what else is going on. We would love to have you back again. But until then... Happy birthday. This is Sarah Miller with Media Mavis Podcast. Ali, it was so good having you on this week. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Media Mavens Podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or download past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens Podcast on your favorite podcast provider or on the Evergreen Podcast Network. To learn more about the podcast or our guests, log on to www.mediamavenspodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.